That's great, bud. Uh, be advised, there are two more. Repeat, two more mother humpers. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the seventh episode of Cinema Decon, deconstructing and overthinking the movies of our younger years. My name is Steve, and on this podcast, we will revisit the movies that we keep in the back part of our minds as flawless masterpieces, untouchable by any criticism. And hopefully they stay that way. Join us as we rewatch a randomly selected movie from our list of 300 plus from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. With me on this journey is my co-host, who always knows how to use the right household chemicals in the proper proportions, Aaron. How are you tonight, Aaron? Thanks, Steve. You know, for a short week, it's been pretty painful with playing catch-up at work, uh, including doing a 4 a.m. cutover on Sunday morning, so I'm still slightly asleep. Thankfully, I was able to squeeze in some much-needed movie time. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we took about a a two-week hiatus here with the July 4th holiday and other things going on, but it's good to be back to, to talking about movies. Absolutely. So what we do here at Cinema Decon is rewatch an old movie with the hopes that they're still as good as we remember them. Then Steve and I meet up to talk about it, point out our high and low parts, and give it a rank and place on our mega list. Before we watch our target movie, we first record our memories and recollections of it. Then we proceed to go and watch the movie. So far, our memories have been both perfect and completely wrong at the same time. This week's episode is brought to you by Walter's Homemade Vaultomatic. Handcrafted by the finest materials New Mexico has to offer, the Vaultomatic will send you soaring over the competition with grace and style. And be sure to check out our new Pogo version for those interested in breaking records. Walter's homemade Vaultomatic. Just remember, nothing vaults like a waltz. Today's movie is the 1990 horror comedy Tremors, directed by Ron Underwood, written by S.S. Wilson, Brent Maddock, and Ron Underwood, starring Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, Finn Carter, and Michael Gross. All right, Steve. So what is your first memory of Tremors? I have vague recollections of Tremors. You know, it's, it's part of our generation's movie lexicon, uh, and I have seen it, but it was so long ago, and I was a kid, and, and I know I was terrified of it, and I've never seen any of the sequels. My recollection of what I remember is, is truly the, you know, Kevin Bacon, standing on top of cars with uh, his buddy. Uh, and then the guy from Family Ties is, the dad from Family Ties is the, the gun, gun nut. And there is a scene where he, it attacks his basement. <laughs> and, and, and it's, it, uh, I think it's like, a, you, you picked the wrong basement, dude, or something. Yeah. Um, Boy, did you pick the wrong then, basement. <laughs> and then something with the finale where they're all like trying to walk very slowly on the ground. And that's truly all my recollections of Tremors. I have not seen that since I was single digits. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I was introduced to this movie by a friend that used to live over by my dad's house when I was a kid, probably about 10 or 12. Um, his parents, uh, like, own or ran, like, uh, I want to say it was like a video shop down the corner. It was one of those off-brand video shops, like one-offs. And I remember this was one of his favorite movies at the time. So we actually, uh, we'd actually drag a TV up on top of the roof of this video store and watch it on there. So we were like meta in the movie about climbing up on the roof of the building to watch the movie about how they have to climb up on the roofs of buildings 
to get away from these snakeoids. One of the big, one of the bigger things that I like, I remember Fred Ward in it because I remember him from being in a couple other things. Wait, wait what um, did you call the things? Uh, graboids, Gra- gravitoids, gra- something like that. I can't remember what he called them. I didn't know they had Gravazoids. names. I thought they were they were oh. just like underworms so, or something. Uh, yeah, worms. Lu, Lu, Lu Shen from uh, Big Trouble in Little China, the guy that ran the. Uh, uh, Egg Shen? General store. Egg Shen, thank you. He's in this? Uh, yes, that's he's the guy that ran the general store. He gave him a name. I just It was like Gravoid or Graboid or something like that. Huh. Yeah, he is totally in this movie. Uh, along with the the little girl is the same girl from Jurassic Park. The This is the Unix system girl. Oh, She's God. In this. <laughs> uh, and then Reba McIntyre. So, I got to be wrong on the year then. What year did this? this uh, so this movie came out in 1990. Oh, okay. So I wasn't single digits then. So because uh, I was 10 and 90, uh, but I say still same thing. Still barely barely reckon, or remember seeing this. Uh, I do remember having a crush on Finn Parker or Finn Carter at the time, who plays the the main female lead. Uh, she really hasn't been in much else. It's was, it was just one of those movies that I could watch just for the. I, I always loved the back and forth between Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward. Those two worked out very well together. Uh, I never saw any of the, any of the sequels. I've seen the trailers for them and realized that Kevin Bacon wasn't in any of them. So I just never watched it. This is going to be an interesting one. I, I can't say if I'm excited or not. I know it's, it's a great movie because I'm told it is. So we'll <laughs> put that to the test. Eh, it's going to be good. Okay. We will now go off and watch Tremors. Yeah. I'm going to be on my roof. Bert, get out of your basement. Take your radio. You and Heather, get up on your roof. We'll talk later, okay? Over. Up on the roof? Val, what are you talking about? Damn it, Bert. Just listen to him. Something's wrong. Bert, Jesus Christ! Get up on your roof. The things, they're, they're under the ground. They're bigger than we thought. They're huge. They're coming right after you guys. They're coming right now. We don't see anything, Val. Then what the hell are you talking about? Over. Bert! They're under the ground! They're under the ground! They can dig like a son of a bitch! Big monster! Underground! Now get out! Hurry! And we're back. We have watched Tremors. So, Aaron, you mentioned in the pre-watch that you had a crush on Finn Carter. Does that have anything to do with her running around in her underwear? I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, and I uh, uh, I resent the implication. It wasn't like I was like ten years old when this movie came out or anything. Well, you did watch this watch on top of your roof, right? For old times' sake. Back then, when it first came out, I watched it several times. The first time I actually I can't remember who's the first time, but one of the first times I watched it, we actually went up on the roof of my buddy's video store. So kind of got a little meta experience in there. Thankfully the roof did not cave in, but it, it definitely adds a, uh, a lot to the experience. And how big was that TV? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a fabulous, like 15, 12 inch. 17 inch. <laughs> yeah. Straight out, straight out of like little shop of horrors quote, you know, a beautiful expansive 12 inch screen. <laughs> It was color, though, so we got that going for us, which is nice. So Tremors opens up. We're in late 80s Nevada with a beautiful scenery. 
just wide open. You got mountains in the background. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Kind of feel like we just came from this type of scenery uh, straight from Three Amigos. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, right from one Wiley e. Coyote uh, background to another. Yeah. It's, it's a good double feature. <laughs> yeah. They, they complement each other. <laughs> <laughs> the Amigos would know how to handle these things. Yeah, you got this beautiful landscape, and then you got Kevin Bacon pissing off a cliff. <laughs> oh, every childhood, <laughs> every boy's dream growing up. The, piss, the pissing off a cliff or Kevin Bacon? Also, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I remember thinking, man, I want to I want to go to the Grand Canyon and just piss off. <laughs> it's just one of those weird things. Um, I will neither confirm nor deny whether or not that ever happened. <laughs> uh, because I'm pretty sure statute of limitations isn't expired, <laughs> but, uh, but regardless. So this one takes place in, uh, the fictional, uh, perfection Valley, Nevada, uh, with the aptly named city of perfection right in the middle population 14, which is roughly about 38 to 40 miles from the nearest town of Bixby, uh, which I believe is also, uh, fictional. I didn't actually look that one up. Uh, the val- uh, the place is basically a geographically isolated valley. We know they have the cliffs that Kevin Bacon was found peeing off of are on the north side, uh, and then there's mountains on the east and the west. Uh, I have no idea what's south. They never did mention that. I'm guessing more mountains. Well, it reminded me of the, the little ghost town off of Fort Irwin in the Mojave Desert out there. You've got a ghost town called Calypso. Uh, which is roughly 30 miles from Barstow, the whole area that they skip over in Independence Day that, you know, they pass right over that on their way to Area 51. But uh, it's exactly that. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it's based off of in, as far as the actual screenplay, but it just reminded me so much of that because I went and toured that ghost town when I was, you know, out there for work, but it was just like this. Who knows? Maybe that's where they shot it. I should have looked that up, but I didn't, didn't have time. Yeah, I do know that as far as scenes go, they they do build the town themselves, and there's only two interior shots in the entire movie, which is Walt's store and, and Bert's, Bert's basement. Yeah, everything else is just outside in the you know in the town center or out in the middle of the desert. So uh, we've already obviously already met Val. Uh, I don't think we know he's Val yet. He's just Kevin Bacon at this point, uh, pissing off the cliff. Uh, to which he strolls over to his truck with somebody sleeping. Is it, it ends up being Earl, but he's sleeping in a uh, sleeping bag in the back. And Val's trying to wake him up, and he gets this funny idea by looking over at the three cows. Uh, and he starts jumping on the truck, rocking it, and yelling "Stampede" to get Earl to jump out. Um, so Earl ends up crawling out and falls on his face, still in the uh, sleeping bag. Not the back of the truck. Yeah, no, no foreshadowing there. Mm. They call that a Chekhov's gun. You know, the three creatures in the distance, and uh, you know the guy, guy, guy in a sleeping bag, you know, worming himself off a cliff. There, you know, yeah, no, mm-hmm. no foreshadowing there. Spoilers. Uh, yeah, they got good buddy cop chemistry between them, Val and Earl. They have this yeah. rock paper scissors thing they do with them, oh, where the, yeah, Val the- perpetually loses. I, yeah, I had that too. I was put, I was putting notes every time they played rock, paper, scissors. And even the one time they should have played rock, paper, scissors, but Earl decided to give it to him. But yeah, they're, they're like the handyman for hire in this 14 person town. I'm assuming they're two of the 14 because they live there. Um, or they live 
yeah, they live somewhere. They don't live in the truck because later on they were they were packing their they were packing their stuff up into the truck from that's right like yeah. a trailer so they do live in the trailer but that's the only time we see them we meet pretty much all of the population 14 except for melvin's parents who are supposedly out in vegas uh, there's like a throwaway trivia there uh they keep mm-hmm. leaving him and uh, to do whatever hell he wants in town you can tell by his attitude <laughs> yeah 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 melvin's a shitbag uh, but then they get to work uh on some some barbed wire fixing some fence posts Nice gag of Kevin Bacon missing the staple like 10 times. <laughs> yeah, cannot hammer to save his life. And then he hits it the one <laughs> It shows off the bat that they're not good handymen. No, which is why they're in this small town and not already in Bixby. So then they're driving around. It, it's like uh, they had the two outstanding jobs. They had either to go over to Burt's to do the linoleum or they needed – it was trash day. Uh, so they had to go uh, get trash up. And on their way out there, this is where we meet Rhonda. So uh, Rhonda is the new college student down there from, I believe, Mesa State University. Another trivia note. I didn't, yeah, I didn't catch that. Yeah, the, all the sensors that she plants uh, have the stamp property of MSU on the side, so I looked it up. Uh, In, uh, per the Tremors Wiki, which is a lot bigger than I expected it would be, uh, she is from Mesa State <laughs> University. She doesn't quite meet Kevin Bacon's uh, long list of oh, requirements. Now, blonde hair, blue eyes, and legs that go all the way up, which, I mean, I'll give her some leeway on the legs. She was wearing the wrong shorts to be able to, at the time, to be able to discern that. But, yeah, he's, he's naming off all these qualifications for his checklist. And as soon as they pull up, she meets absolutely none of them. I mean, she looked like a complete dork in that first scene. Yeah, with the sunblock on the nose. I mean, who, who actually does that? I have I mean, never in 80s. my life seen someone put seen sunblock only on the joke. I've seen, seen commercials. Commercial? Yes. I've seen commercials and movies and TV shows, but never in my life have I seen someone put sunblock on just their nose. The first thing that I, that I thought of, and I may be remembering this wrong, but the first thing I thought of was Wendy Peppercorn from The Sandlot, because I'm fairly certain she did that too. She meets all of Kevin Bacon's uh, requirements. Also, Yes. Although I'm pretty sure she was a like 16 at the time. I was a, I was young. I can I can talk about Wendy Peppercorn. That's that one's allowed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's old enough now. Yeah, wait till we get to the Sandlot and talk about that scene. That one's awkward. <laughs> it, as far oh, as yeah. Poli- yeah, politically correctness goes. <laughs> oh yeah, that one would totally fly there. <laughs> But the next scene, we get to the city of perfection. As we stated, population 14, we meet Melvin, Walter Chang, uh, Bert, and Heather, mm-hmm. all at the local general uh, store, I guess. Oh, general store. Yeah, general store. Yeah. It had everything. It had clothing, for God's sake. So it was literally a general store. And, and they, they use the term city very loosely. Uh, I would say settlement. <laughs> I mean, township would be close. Uh, Village. City, no. Uh, they're definitely not incorporated. <laughs> Village. They have a post office because Walter's general store is also the post office. It's mm. written on the side of the building. Fair enough. They do not have any, uh, they don't have their own police though, but they do manage no, their own sewer no. system. Um, I have no idea what they do for water. I'm guessing all well, I'm guessing the water is all well, well water. Yeah. Well, they got the little water tower there that she climbs up at the end. 
Yeah. So there's, there's some there's small rainwater well water. And then electricity, I'm sure, comes from either a bunch of generators or is piped in. Well, uh, later on, when the uh, the road workers bite it and the people come to check on them, there's like Cal, Matt, Nev, Cal. Uh, it's on the side of their truck, like Cal, Nevada, something, electrical maintenance. So it's yeah. like those uh you know utility workers so are that on, so, they're, yeah, so they're on it does county. reach out they're there but it's electric but so it's the, the, the one road out of town sort of scenario yeah they have a, a scene inside of walter's general store that with the pepsi machine which is great setup mm-hmm. you know, where it's val and earl indirectly can be blamed for walter's death yeah i have that note too yeah, I mean it's it's just it's real great setup where they just have the you know the he's got this old ass Pep, Pepsi machine like the old '40s logo yeah. or something and it's, it's like generator yeah and it's got the compressor in there that keeps acting up on it that either the belts the belts start squeaking or the or it gets off center and the bearings start squealing and they basically uh, I can't remember did they actually stop it from doing it while it was doing it or did they. They no, they just throw the they throw the excuse out there at the time of well we've got other work to do so we'll just we're we're gonna use that excuse to pass up uh, this quick fix and just leave mm-hmm. and that towards the middle of the movie ends up getting poor Walter eaten yeah had they just fixed the Pepsi machine Walter could have been saved but alas so yeah then they've got they've got to go over to Melvin's house uh, with the septic truck and pump that out. One of the one of my favorite lines. I think it was about actually about this time when they're bitching about uh, what they're going to do because this it was a throwback to previous comment that Bert, that Earl had said about uh, it's like damn it Val uh, you're only thinking of today and I'm already thinking on Wednesday basically saying you know I'm thinking ahead and you're just worried about right now uh, and then uh, when the two are about to leave general store I believe it's to go do the septic tank. Uh, Bert's bitching at him about doing the linoleum or something and Val turns around and says now you see we plan ahead that way we don't do anything right now <laughs> oh that was yeah they say that was their excuse for not fixing the Pepsi machine at, at that moment either yeah, after, after a quick stop at the junkyard to do the trash and drink some beer out of a toilet then they head over to Melvin's house <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh yeah it's a classy place they head over to Melvin's with the <laughs> They're clearing the septic tank of Melvin's house, and it's a good uh, long shot and a good physical setup. Because if you're watching it, you're, you're not even noticing that this duct taped hose for the oh, gigantic yeah. septic tank is always, always is, is looking flimsy, tank. and it's a and it's leaking already. And then as soon as he cuts that valve on, man, they got crap all over. And they're basically, and in the meantime, right as they're starting to do it, they're all they're basically talking about why haven't we just left and gone to Bixby already? You know, we're, I'm tired of this. You know, pun intended, shit work. And they keep finding reasons to stick around and this getting sprayed with Melvin's shit as Melvin's standing on the, uh, sitting in the, on his porch, laughing his ass off at them. It's like, Hey dude, your house is also getting covered in your own shit, but you obviously don't seem to care. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't care at all. (laughs) (laughs) And that ends up being the, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back basically of them wanting to get the hell out. Finally. Yeah transitions to them packing up their truck and them leaving town and this is where they meet nancy and mindy mm. nancy being i guess a single mother they don't really go into yeah. who she is and or she, what she, does. she has a home business that's all we know because she was trying to rope them into getting a new kiln built i guess she does like homey oh pottery yeah so she's an artist yeah you're right yeah so she was trying to get them to help out building the new kiln 
for uh, you know a month's work and free beer, which surprisingly they turned down. And meanwhile, Mindy is is currently at 640 straight pogos on her record. The rabbit hole. One thing I I never noticed uh, until much later in life that Mindy is a uh, Unix girl from Jurassic Park. Yep, Ariana Richard. And this is obviously before Jurassic Park, but. Well, she had all that time in the desert to study. <laughs> she did much better in this movie to me. She was annoying in Jurassic Park, but here she Agreed. she did her she played her part well. And she didn't do much acting after that. She she took a huge from what I read, she took a huge break from acting and only recently had come back in. Uh, but she was she was actually an artist in real life. And one of the odd facts that I found was that I believe it was George Lucas actually owns one of her watercolors and has oh. it in his office. So that's that's cool. You know, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah, the pogo stick is uh, obviously. If if you've already seen the movie, you know that's a uh, the whole vibration. They have a lot of you know, they have a lot of foreshadowing. Yeah, they throw there. a lot of those uh, Chekhov gun yeah uh, tropes in here. It's, a, yeah, it's another it, setup. They do it fairly subtly, mm-hmm. so it's it's nice and subtle. I I didn't see anything really, even even you know from somebody looking for tropes and shit like that. I didn't find anything that was overtly obvious. No, I think one of the I, I, my trope list for this is very short. You know, it may only be the sunblock on the nose. I, I, it's, it's it's quite short. Yeah. Uh, but then as they they turn down the free food and free beer and they head on to Bixby, Val makes the the dumb comment of "There is nothing between us and Bixby now." Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's your there's a trope. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, as soon as he says that, then they notice uh, then they notice their, uh, their the buddy Edgar hanging up on a power line tower, and so they so they pull over drunk. to try to to get him down. Yeah, and then for the second time in the movie, it's rock paper scissors, which of course Val loses again Val on loses. the first try. They don't even have any ties. What are the odds of never well losing on the first throw every time? Earl is wiser, <laughs> older and wiser. But poor Edgar, once Val gets up there, uh, is dead, clutching a, oh, yeah. a rifle. And then it cuts to the, the doctor uh, looking him over and covering him up in the back of a truck. But he says he's been up there for three to four days and died of dehydration. Yeah, up to up to three and four days. So then, you know, they're all freaking out. Because up to this point, we've seen a couple scenes of like the camera, the, a low slung camera on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like when Rhonda was leaving her campsite for the first time. Uh, where they first met her. There's a low slung camera that starts, you know, jawsing the point of view shot up to the truck. And you hear the sound of of the creature right as she shuts the door. And I guess the whole concept is she didn't hear it because she was shut. She shut the door and immediately took off and the car was running. Mm -hmm. But this whole entire movie is basically jaws in the desert. Yes, absolutely. Which is an interesting take on it. Oh, it's it brilliant. But like, and a lot of the camera and a lot of the camera, uh, the camera work they did with the low slung camera, fake camera going through the, gr- through the actual dirt where it's like splitting. And then all the practical effects of like the, the humps and the waves in the ground were actually all really cool in my opinion. Well, we haven't gotten there yet, but Walter's death is a oh. direct homage to, to Jaws. I mean, the way when, from when Quint mm-hmm. is getting, you know, in, in, in Jaws's Jaws and he's going back and forth. That's what exactly what happens to Walter. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so they don't know what's going on right now. They, they think that Edgar was just drunk and decided to stay up there for a couple of days. Uh, but the audience is slowly being shown what, 
what's going on. And but that goes further yeah. with the next scene. There's with something Fred, chasing him. Fred and his sheep. And then also some road workers in roughly the same time frame. Oh yeah. The, the Fred, Oh dude, the Fred one was pretty cool because they, because again, they don't outright show it to you. They give you off angles where Fred's and they give you subtle clues. You know, Fred's sitting there. He sees the, the sheep are starting to freak out. Yeah. He looks around and doesn't see anything. He's like, all right, what the hell? And he, he continues tilling the ground, which of course, if you've already mm-hmm. seen it, you know, it's basically, he's ringing the doorbell saying, uh, you know, yeah. pizza's here. You start and, seeing and the then, scarecrow in the background start to, to, yeah, it starts and to wobble. And you think he's going to stop because the scarecrow doesn't really make much noise when it leans over, but you think he's going to stop. And as he turns right before he actually looks at the scarecrow and you assume you're going to get this uh, weird look from his face saying, you know, what the hell just happened to my scarecrow? Boom. He just goes straight down off camera. You don't see anything. Mm-hmm. He just disappears. And, you know, you hear the sound. It, it was good use of simple, simple practical effects where you don't, you don't see anything, but you know what's going exactly. on. Exactly. You know, you know what happens, but you didn't, you didn't kind of see it. And then, yeah, uh, I guess the, the boys after talking to the doc uh, continue on and they drive right past Fred's. Earl basically slams on the brakes because he sees all the slaughtered sheep. So he jumps, jumps out and he's like, what, what in the hell is going on? Because as far as they know, the only thing that's happened is a drunk guy passed out and, died, and somehow died of, de- of dehydration, according to the doc. Uh, being stuck on a pole for all we know he thought he was stuck up there or he was disoriented or sick or something like that so for all they know it's complete accident and then all of a sudden there's a you know a whole pen of slaughtered sheep uh, and Fred's nowhere to be found so they start yelling yelling for Fred and walking around and there's a hat this is this is one of my favorite actually favorite scenes in the movie there's just that hat sitting in the middle of it now we didn't see we know it's Fred's hat because he was wearing it we didn't uh, we didn't see it actually go all the way to the ground. So for all we know, the hat's just laying there. So he walks over and he's like, why is Fred's hat in there? And he goes to pick it up. And as he picks it up, boom, there's Fred <laughs> staring straight up. <laughs> it's it's a nice little jump scare. It's it's well yeah. done. And then say there's Kevin Bacon that pulls the hat off and he screams, what the hell is going on? They're just I mean, what the they, hell is going on? They they now think that there is a killer on the loose that's that's loose. slaughtering sheep and that's, killing the villagers, and cop yeah chopping people's heads off. So they yeah. they jump back in the car and they book it back to town. Basically, they they stop to try to warn the road workers. Yeah, they they stop at the road workers who are working on something, yelling at them. Uh, they or they go back to the town and then they suggest that they go into Bixby and get the cops. Right, and in the meantime, while they headed back towards town past the road workers. Uh, another one of the cool scenes, uh, the road workers who's sitting there jackhammering the, the blacktop. Basically it looks like he stri- uh, strikes red gold and it just starts oozing out of the ground circa like uh, a red version of like the, it reminded me of like the ghostbusters two slime, pink slime, only red <laughs> there you go, like, yeah. consistency wise. I wouldn't think it's going to start dancing or anything, but and then the jackhammer basically takes off like a shark fin. You know, another draws homage. Yeah, that, that's true. Up, yeah, I never thought of that. And it, and it goes up over the hill. The cord gets wrapped around the jackhammer guy, and he gets pulled down and swept away. And I don't think we saw what happened to the second guy, did we? He got killed in the landslide. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. The like, jackhammer caused the landslide, and the and the rocks. Because that second road worker and Earl are the only two people to die of non creature deaths. Because because Earl dehydrated, and this guy got killed in the landslide. I mean, indirectly from the creatures, but te- technically, they're the only two that didn't die. Yeah, of, they don't. You know, yeah, they don't get full the points villain. for that. They just get an assist. So uh, then we head to Walter's store. Uh, we meet Hector, another villager. He's got missing cattle. Uh, Val and uh, Earl are raving about what they've seen. And, you know, there's a killer on the loose. Phones mm-hmm. are dead. We got to head to Bixby for police. So now that they've warned everyone, they're heading now back to Bixby on that same road. Uh, I have a note here that er, now it's Earl who says something. He says, nothing can stop us now. <laughs> <laughs> and then the road is blocked the with the landslide and both workers are dead <laughs> yeah so now there's definitely a serial killer on the loose yeah so he backs up uh and spins like a reverse j turn and slams the back of the truck basically into the rock wall you know it's kind of a beater truck they don't care but then it won't go forward and he's like well shit you're you're hung up man you're stuck and after a while, up. he shifts gears. Yeah, I'm not hung up. He shifts gears, and it finally gets enough torque to break free. He's like, "Told you I wasn't hung up." So now they get back to town again well, to tell them. About as, the as they're driving, coach. as they're driving back to town, uh, Earl pulls out this big Colt <laughs> in the cab oh, of the yeah. truck, <laughs> and he makes sure he makes sure that's loaded. Man, he's pointing that thing right at Val. Right the, the, yeah, the, the muzzle discipline time. is gone. He's just pointing at him the whole time he's driving. <laughs> Which which is which is mirrored by if you ever if you watch Bert or Heather handle any of the guns, um, they're very uh, they did very well on. Uh, oh, wait, Bert like and Heather trigger, trigger Bert, Bert and Heather handle guns. Yeah, but, surprise, surprise. Oh, oh, didn't know they were into guns. Yeah, we'll get to there. We'll get there. <laughs> Not everyone can carry. That's because they can't carry around the cannon. <laughs> The fuse is for my cannon. <laughs> what do you use a cannon fuse for? <laughs> my cannon. <laughs> anyway, so they get back to they get back to the store, and uh, everyone's wondering why they came back, and they're again raving about all of what they've seen. Bert and er, Bert, Bert and Heather are there now, and they fo- they all find the tentacle that was actually wrapped around the axle of the the truck. Yeah, looks like a giant snake or eel at this point, ripped yeah. off. Bert has no fear; just reaches up in there with a with a shovel and grabs it right off. Yeah, it looks like it was wrapped around the axle and then clutching the rear shock. Yeah, it was biting yeah. the rear shock, so that's how it got stuck. So you, they literally had to rip it out of the thing, which is kind of impressive. And you got Walter, who uh, Walter, who never misses a deal, he buys the tentacle. <laughs> <laughs> after but, haggling it down from yeah. from twenty dollars to fifteen dollars four people are dead i'll buy that tentacle from you <laughs> never misses a deal <laughs> and then proceeds to sell pictures of it what, were, what was he selling the pictures for 15 15 bucks a picture yeah something like that picture cuts the bow and we're like 15 goddamn dollars <laughs> there's a man who plans ahead <laughs> so uh we do have a quick scene at the site of the doctor's new house where he's building Yeah, him and his wife. They're just, you know, working on their house under the, under the starlight and uh, their generator dies. So yeah. they go walk over to see you to, to kickstart the generator and it's gone. 
they, uh, they find the cord of where the generator was. They start pulling it out and the cords cut. Then the generator flies yeah. in the air about 15 feet away. Uh, and as they're trying to figure out what the hell is going on, poor doc gets sucked down. Yeah. Uh, and this is where we really start to get a good look at what we the actually tentacles see look like. A, yeah. Since they've already got the reveal, we actually get to see them in action. Uh, and, and how you know badass they are. Cause not only do they pull down the doc who you know, break a two by four there, they then proceed to, after the doc's wife climbs into their station wagon, they suck down into the sand, the entire station wagon. Oh yeah. <laughs> which, which is a, an amazing scene. I loved this scene. Uh, and particularly I like when you, when it jumps back from the distance and you see the headlights fluttering and you see one of them go out and then the other one go out. So the car is literally buried headlights straight up uh, all to the tune of Tanya Tucker's it's a cowboy love and night. Oh, okay. I may or may not have shazamed that. <laughs> I think those are the, the only two songs actually in the movie were the, that song and the credits song sung by Reba McIntyre. That is wrong. There is oh. another song when they come back to find the station wagon in the dirt. Oh, you're right. The golden oldies. I, I didn't know. I couldn't hear what song it was. It's a song called. <laughs> it's by Bobby Bear and it's called Dropkick Me Jesus. <laughs> what in the slam hell? Can't make this up. <laughs> <laughs> After the car gets swallowed, then we go back to Walter's store. The kids are taking pictures with the tentacle. And we get a lot of, uh, a lot of talk about what to do next. What are we going to do? And I don't know who makes the idea. It might be, who's the guy that lost his cattle? Uh, Hector, 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 yes. Hector has the idea of using uh, the local horses to, uh, to take horses to Bixby since all the cars are pretty much shot now. Uh, the only available road is that Jeep trail, which uh, the only people that have the car uh, at that point is, or that can make it is Bert and Heather. And they, they've already started driving around. Oh, not yet. Not yet. Cause, cause I've got, I, I got, I got a note here. Cause you got Reba McIntyre talking a lot in the, in the store. And I have a lot here. A lot of her lines are ADR their their additional dialogue. You can tell, I don't know, maybe it was her accent or whatever, but her mouth wasn't matching at all. It was her, her mm. lines were off screen, but they, they have the idea to take that. And when they're leaving on the horses, they, she gives uh she says uh you guys want to take one of our our browning automatics a bar mm. rifle is huge <laughs> i mean that's just her first lot first or not first line but her first offer to them you want this gigantic war weapon <laughs> i love that she ends up giving them a sniper rifle which is it's it's it literally sounds like product placement <laughs> bars are fun to fire uh but so now you've got Val and Earl on horses heading out and they stop at the doctor's place. And this is where they start here and drop kick me Jesus uh, coming from somewhere. Well, uh, yeah. Cause they, for as far as they knew, they were just checking to see if they really did leave to go to Bixby. Like they said they were going to, cause that was the initial plan. They had to go, they had to pick up uh, cinder blocks. Cinder, cinder blocks are in. That's right. I want to say if I'm, uh, if I remember correctly, when I first saw this, I didn't know what a cinder block was. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm like nine or ten, and I swear to God, I think I thought that the name that it was somebody's last name, like they were going to go meet friends, uh, the family Cinder, you know, Mister Mrs. Cinderblock, 
Because she's like, the cinder blocks are in. I'm like, oh, the cinder blocks. And I expect them to say, I hate those guys. That's As soon as he said that, I'm like, holy crap, I think I thought those were people back in the day. That's fine. But yeah, so they, they move on and uh, poor horses, you know, you knew they were going to, you knew they weren't going to make it once they even started out into the desert. So they get attacked by the creatures. I'm sure Val said something like, we're definitely getting there now. That's all I needed to to say. And then, yeah, the horses all of a sudden get spooked by nothing. Yeah, they can sense something's wrong. And uh, Mm -hmm. then they get fully attacked by the creature. And has it been named yet? No. No. So, So still just the creatures right at this point. And, and maybe it was the HD viewing, but as the creature's attacking the horse, you can actually see some of the puppet strings mm-hmm. pulling back and forth. That was the only time I, I noticed any sort of puppeteering going on. Uh, it was just that one scene where they attack the horses, but uh, otherwise, yeah, no, no, nothing I noticed. Uh, but then Val and Earl, they run away and they actually kill their first creature. And that creature had to be moving at, because they're running away and they jump into a waterway in the desert yeah that that's uh, a concrete waterway this is- and the creature runs smack head into the waterway and kills itself and oh, yeah. that sucker had to be moving at some some speed because we've already seen a jackhammer not kill it and later on we see a pickaxe to the head not kill it and you know, just that that thing had to be moving at some speed to actually knock itself out to to death yeah let alone one was able to burst through the cinder block wall of Bert's uh that's true yeah we attacks the rec room so yeah this one literally and my theory on this is it knew the wall was there when it burst in to bert's place it had no idea the wall was there uh that could be when it was chasing them so it was going way too fast so because yeah, bert's wall it, it hit it a couple times yeah yeah it's soft so it was going slower and and basically yeah ground itself through but Regardless, yeah, it, yeah, this is where it finally bursts out of the ground and we see what it is. This huge thing that has, uh, that has the, the tentacles that we saw coming out of its mouth is basically like multiple tongues that hook, hook you and pull you in. Yeah, right as they, they actually run into Rhonda, who's out there in the desert as well. So she's get, she gets to see this as well. Yeah, she, she strolls up. It's like, hey, did you guys, did you guys notice anything weird? <laughs> So it's like, what the hell is that thing? Kevin Bacon found the ass end. <laughs> oh yeah, it, yeah. Earl, <laughs> Earl, and Rhonda are are pulling the the wall apart down where it broke through to see the thing. It's dripping with this orange bloody goo and everything. Meanwhile, Kevin Bacon is up top digging it out, and it's a good thirty thirty five feet. You think? Probably about that. Yeah, yeah. It's like I found the yeah. ass end. It's like holy shit! They can see that it's got no eyes, it's got no nose, it's subterranean. Yeah. So then, Rhonda, Rhonda, the voice of science in this movie, is basically explaining it to them and the viewers. I want to say it's it was really a good choice to make her a seismology student. You know, they could have they could have made her anything regarding the desert, but to have her, you know, study you know seismic movement and earthquakes, whatever, because then that that character trait allowed her to say, Hey, my readings show that there are more of these because things happen simultaneously. It's a good mm-hmm. way to show the, the number of enemy that are out there. That was a good, good character choice on her. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it definitely lends credence to her scientific knowledge of of everything. So they uh, they make a run for it, and then they end up on uh, these gigantic rocks out in the desert. Yeah, as they're walking walking back to her truck, which is the closest thing now, the horses are gone. So they book it up up to the rocks, and that's when it comes out and jumps after them. Yeah, they're stuck on the rocks for a long time overnight, and uh, you know, there's, so there's a lot of conversation and. Try, there are a lot of speculation. What are they? Where do they come from? What's the purpose? And uh, I have a note here of a great line from Kevin Bacon. It's like, yeah, big surprise for the Russians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that dates the movie as far as uh, pre-Berlin Wall falling and everything. Yep. So I want to say it's it's supposed to be like 88 or 89 in the movie. I think, I think it's 89. Which also explains the survivalist mentality of Bert with the bomb shelter and oh, yeah. all the rations and everything. So. So now they've realized why Edgar was up on the pole and why he died of yep. dehydration for four days. Because the thing literally will wait you out. At this point, they have to figure out. Uh, they see, you know, her, her truck's over there. It's a bit of a ways. Uh, you don't, you kind of notice in the scene, but you're not looking at it, that there are additional rocks and boulders lined up all the way to her car. Mm-hmm. That's not something that's mentioned yet, so you don't even think about it. Val and Earl are arguing about what they're going to do. And Rhonda, of course, is in the background coming up with the absolute idea. And they're just ignoring her. So she's finally, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. Goes down there and grabs three of Walt's homemade vaultmatics. She's like, you guys ever knew a pole vault? And just goes. Why were those poles there? You know, I don't know. Uh, the only Because they, they wouldn't be for like fence posts or anything. Yeah, they're too Probably tall. Too I, I just wonder why. Why are those things even there? I, not, and they were, and they looked like they were wood, so they wouldn't be like electrical conduit. So I, I, I yeah, I, I don't know. There for plot armor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they they do make it to Rhonda's truck. Uh, she she reaches in and and hits the gas with her hands and steers. Uh, but Kevin Bacon has a nice solid right hook on one of the tentacles. Yeah, <laughs> it was just a nice punch. <laughs> And then, and then, yeah, Rhonda's literally driving, stepping on the gas, no steering wheel, no sight or anything. And those two haven't even realized it, so they're just still sitting in the back. And so she's trying to, like, um... They're celebrating. <laughs> can someone help, please? Because you can see in the background scenery, I'm, you know, they, she starts out on the road and then obviously misses a turn because nobody's staring. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, man. But they do make it back to Walter's store. Now we've got pretty much everybody in the store. Everyone's mm-hmm. kind of freaking out. Uh, Walter's talking about naming things. <laughs> yeah, him and Melvin uh, are discussing the correct naming convention. And, and this is where Kevin Bacon has a, a flip-out moment of, you know, they're coming right for us. He picks a map up off the wall and he just starts pointing at random places on the map saying that, you know, they've, they've trapped us in this valley. we got to get out of here. Yeah, and he literally points like, here's the dock. Here's Fred. Here's where we found Edgar. Uh, here's the construction workers and it's literally a straight line. I'm like, yeah, it, it is the one time you actually see a map of, uh, what perfection, the city perfection and the Valley looks like though. Yeah. And, and throughout all this, you know, no one's even thinking about poor Mindy. Yeah. Oh no. She's still going around trying to uh, double her record. Yeah. She's out there on a damn pogo stick. Somebody said, where's Mindy? And, and Melvin's like, Oh, I saw her. She's just playing in the street. And I'm thinking, did you not just completely miss the conversation yeah. we had? I mean, let alone without even the the whole underground creatures thing. Before all this, they thought it was a serial killer. Yeah. 
So even still, why is Mindy out by herself? Yeah. In the middle of this ghost town. It's- With headphones and a pogo stick. So she can't hear anything anyway. And it's good to note, uh, the only people that aren't here at the time are Bert and Heather. Because they're out looking for Rhonda. So they're out searching, you know, for regular prey, yeah. like just giant snakes and driving around. And they can't raise them on the radio because apparently he didn't take his radio with him. So they notice that Mindy is out on the pogo stick and our, our hero, Kevin Bacon, sprints across the town, spears her just in time into the into the ditch as her pogo stick gets sucked down into the ground. And then, oh, yeah. and then the pogo stick shoots up out of the ground like the generator did behind them. And then while that's happening, Rhonda is outside and there's another creature that uh, starts to attack her and she gets caught up in some more barbed wire. Yeah, she gets, she gets hooked on barbed wire and then the, as the thing comes out of the ground, it basically bakes, uh, rolls her over so she gets her entire legs wrapped up in the thing. And the, and the graboid, uh, which has been named by now, hooks onto <laughs> one of the fence posts <laughs> that's on the barbed wire and starts pulling it in. So now, you know, she's getting, she's getting really eat up. Yeah. Now everybody knows it's real. Yeah. So, you know, that these things are, they're out to get them. So you got, you got Melvin who's in like a, an outside shed. Uh, Mindy and her mom are ran back to their house. Uh, you have the other guy, uh, Nestor, Nestor, yeah, Nestor, who I think is still in the shop by this time. Or no, he ran back to his trailer. Yeah, he ran to his uh, trailer. Whereas and Miguel then, and Val Earl Miguel and Rhonda after after she strips to get away from the uh, yeah. barbed wire. Ten-year-old me's favorite part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but Walter Walter gives her some clothes very quickly. Hell, hell of a guy, Walter. <laughs> after Val uh, treats her with like iodine, uh, treats all the cuts on her legs with iodine while Earl just literally stares there and laughs at him <laughs> for being awkward. Mm-hmm. And, and then right as all this is happening, the Pepsi machine acts up again. Yeah, this is, this is where my note is. Walter would be alive today if they'd fix the damn bearings and Pepsi machine. Yeah, so that Pepsi machine acts up. They jump on top of it trying to, to quiet it down, do something, but it's too late. The uh, creature has been summoned and bursts up through the floor and poor Walter is the one that gets caught and he dies a very gruesome jaws death. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, that one was gruesome. I mean, for, yeah. Cause so up, up till now, all the deaths have been either off screen or, well, they've all been off screen. Really? That was uh, the first one that was yeah. shown. Yeah. Everything's been off screen. Uh, this is also precipitated by one of my favorite effect, cool practical effects in the movie, which was, as the as one of the graboids was going under the, I guess you can call it the patio or the deck, the decking on the outside of the general store, uh, that was all wood planks. So the wood planks just all uh, wave wave all the way through it. I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that was neat. The, the dirt's one thing, but the that, that little wave thing was pretty cool. But it's at this point that they all are like, "Well, shit, we need to get higher to higher ground." So Val and Earl are already by the Pepsi machine, so they jump on top of it. Rhonda's in the middle of the store, and and Hector or, and Hector's also over there too. Uh, Rhonda's in the middle of the store, so she jumps on the the shelving in the middle, and that's this is when Val sees the hatch to the roof. He's like, well, "Let's everybody get to the roof." So they all start moving that way. The graboid thing, of course, can still hear him, and it ends up dominoing over the shelving for Rhonda, and she gets knocked off the last one and out the window. 
right as uh, Val and Earl jump up to the roof and run out to see what the hell happened to her. Thankfully, uh, she got knocked out of the window right near the uh, water tower and was able to climb up onto it real quick. As they all climbed up onto the water tower and the roof and they start yelling to the others, Melvin and, and everybody else, get up on your roofs, get up on your roofs. Why in the hell were the others against getting on the roof? That was just a weird, it, to me, it seemed obvious, you know, duh, get higher. Yeah. But Melvin's like, why? And then the, it shows Mindy and her mom throwing their hands up. Like, why would we do that? The only thing I could think of is like maybe Mindy and her mom and maybe Nestor didn't hear, couldn't hear him. Melvin, of course, being the- maybe and maybe it's just maybe just Melvin's an idiot and Melvin's an idiot. But one thing I liked about the end of that particular scene was it starts to cut over to Bert's bunker where you've got uh, Reba McIntyre <laughs> with with uh, binoculars. It's, it's a great, great shot because it's it's a, a long, wide shot going from left to right, it shows the water tower and Rhonda, yeah. Walt store. And those guys up there all the way to she, all the way to N- N- Nestor and then Nestor uh, Nancy's and- house. Yeah. It, was, it shows that everyone's there. And then, you know, a confused look on her face. And Heather's like, what in the same hell? And she starts trying to tell Earl about it or uh, Bert about it too. She's like, yeah, I don't know. Something's going on over there. Everybody's up on the roof. Uh, before that, Bert jumps on his CB, try to raise Walter. Mm-hmm to which they have to lower Kevin Bacon down by his feet through the window to grab the court, thankfully cordless CB. Otherwise uh, uh, that would be a very annoying conversation to have to stay hanging there. We don't need power, but yes, it's wireless. <laughs> Egg Shen, he, he's, he knows things. <laughs> mm-hmm. As Val, as Val's trying to tell Bert and Heather to get up on the roof, Heather's not listening and she starts their bullet polisher or a case polisher which of course yeah. is very loud. Yeah. As that thing starts spinning, making noise and yeah, uh, they see, they see the dust trails of the three graboids like book it, or at least one of them book it towards Bert's. So he tries to warn him again and he can't, and now Bert can't hear him because of the damn machine, which leads to one of the best scenes in the entire movie. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Cause as you've got, you got the conversation between Val and Bert over the CB of, of Val trying to tell them that these things are, are underground. They're under the ground. Get out of there. Ground. And as that's happening, you get a, a grab boy start to pound the outside of, of the bunker. Yeah. Or rec room. <laughs> I love that he calls it a rec room. And, and to think this movie would have ended a lot differently if the grab boy had hit the opposite wall. Yeah, that's true. That's where all the guns were. It just so happened to hit the one wall that didn't have any of their necessary guns on. As soon as that graboid breaks through the wall, you've, you've got this camera pan to the left, and it's just gigantic wall of every firearm you could think of that's handheld. <laughs> I'm surprised there wasn't a bow and arrow. I'm pretty, I'm, I'll bet if we go back and screenshot it, or uh, I'll bet you there'll be a bow, hunting bow in there somewhere. I'm sure somewhere in the Tremors fandom wikis that there's a, a list of every firearm that's up there. Like an inventory. You know, yeah. but, but you can see the old M16 that Reba uses for a while and they got Uzis and they've got. They got Uzis. She's firing hand. She's firing a bunch of handguns. Uh, she fires a flare, flare gun straight gun. into the dude's mouth. <laughs> and then that's the flare cool. gun throws it off and then Bert is and able to Bert finish it off. With into the elephant gun. Two oh. shots with an elephant gun. <laughs> Broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you son of a bitch? <laughs> oh, it was a great scene. And the, yeah. the rest of the people think that they've died because yeah. 
all they heard was on the radio, Jesus Christ. And then it cuts off. And then Which, a few seconds later, just gunshots. Once that's done, then you get on the CB <laughs> coming back, them saying, we, you know, we killed the mother. We got them. We got that mother. Humper. Yeah, yeah. Mother humper. That mother humper. Like, <laughs> that's great, bud. Uh, be advised. There are two more repeat, two more mother humpers. <laughs> you know, they took out the word fucker throughout the movie. Yeah. They, they had it. They had it in there. They they wanted a lower rating, so they it, you hear uh, you hear sucker, you hear mother humper, you hear just you know, yeah. that's oh, one yeah. that, that's one big mother. <laughs> so back to the town center. Uh, there's a bit of a lull, but then the graboids start to test the building foundations because everyone's quiet now. They don't know where they're at. They know they're there, but they can't figure it out. They can they can hear them through the buildings, but they can't figure out where they are kind of things because there's a bill because they because they're obviously going to be muffled and they're not where they should be so they're trying to figure it out so they start yeah trying to mess with the buildings and they get to the the weakest of all of them which is the trailer and poor nestor yeah. we we hardly knew you he gets knocked off the top of his uh trailer and goes and to the highest ground he can find highest ground he can find which is a tractor tire which doesn't last long. He literally gets sucked straight through it, which is also a cool indirect death scene. It's actually the last death scene. Nestor yeah, is the last one that dies. It's a very good point. I mean, not to spoil the rest of the movie for all of our, you know, intrigued listeners. Yeah. There's a lot of tension that you hear there because you don't know that going in, but yeah, that's, that's actually the last death. And the only one we saw on screen was Walter. So, so now they, uh, now, now they need to, well, they tell, they tell Bert and they Heather Bert that, that they need they need their vehicle. That their vehicle is the only one that can get out because uh, yeah. Val and Earl's Jeep has no more tires. The tires got popped and and horses are gone. And the Obviously. horses are gone. So as they're trying to tell them about this, and as the buildings are starting to collapse, the the graboids decommission Bert and Heather's vehicle as well. Their GMC. Mm-hmm. So now they need a new plan, and it's actually a pretty good plan they come up with. The tractor that they used for the garbage earlier in the movie, so again, another good setup again, that is available, and also a... An old semi-trailer. Yeah, yeah large half-cut-off semi. You know, pretty perfect right next tires. to each other. Yeah, but the only problem is they're, they're a good 50, 60 yards from the general store. That's one hell of a, that's one hell of a hike. Yeah, so Melvin, again, with a good idea... Uh, not Melvin. Melvin um, or not Melvin. Melvin does not have any good ideas. Uh, Hector. Hector. That's right. Hector. Yeah. Hector uh, says, you know, let, let's get the, the lawnmower, put it in drive and let, let, let it go. And this is the only time I saw a basic movie mistake in here was when they, so yeah, they, they lower him down onto the, onto the tractor, which is basically sitting right next to the general store. He ties it off, starts it up and, and puts it into gear. basically so it's going to run straight. And that's the only thing that I saw was, in the first shot of it running straight, it's headed straight for Nancy's fence. Yeah. It's going to hit that fence. In the next shot, it's turned and it's going down the street. That's true. It eventually, so and they do that, and it's uh, right before he, he sets it off, of course, is another rock, paper, scissors moment. But this time, the winner wants to be the one to go instead of wants to be the one not to go. So, of course, again, Val loses because he never wins for rock, paper, scissors. But he double crosses Earl by me by elbowing him in the in the gut right before he jumps uh, jumps off the freaking building. 
good point of realism though that he didn't just jump down and you know run off like a hero no he jumps and he hits hard he jumped hit the he, he hit the like the awning it yeah. threw him off balance he lands on his ass he's like oh shit. yeah he's kind of, for kind of the realization of i should not have done that yes <laughs> so that was good and, and he starts booking it and of course he gets maybe halfway there three quarters of the way there and the tractor acts toppled which causes the engine so now of course they stop following it. They can hear him and they book to him, book it towards him. And he is not going to make it to the cat. So the, the other townsfolk, they try to start making noise and it's Rhonda who saves him this time by uh, kicking the pipe out at the, uh, the water tower and the, the, the falling water on the ground then pulls the graboids away from Val. And yeah. And I'm, I mean, she saved him before that. She yelled at him to just stop. That's true. Like as he's still running, she, he just tells him they're coming. Stop. Don't make a sound. Don't make a move. And he does it in time to where they know the general location of him, but the, the, the little snake, the the tongue things pop out of the ground and they're searching. It's a, that's a good scene with him on one foot. Yeah. The nice little dance with the one foot as he, as he picks it up. And as soon as he sets it down, he has to pick it up again because the thing swings right back. So like, that was kind of cool. So he does finally yeah. make it to the bulldozer. And it's a good thing that anyone can start that bulldozer. You don't need keys or anything. So oh yeah. Starts right up. But now they've got a plan in motion and uh, they get all the townsfolk on it and the scene cuts to them pulling up to Bert and Heather's house where they are quite busy making pipe bombs as anyone is, is, you know, going to do. For, yeah. Cutting <laughs> off, cutting off the pipes, cutting off the exhaust pipes on his roof and filling them with a few uh, household chemicals filled the proper proportion. It's damn brilliant. <laughs> I mean, it fits very well with the scared. He's a survivalist. I love Bert. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, they convince them to to join them, and they're they're now off. They're heading very slowly up the the mountain trail, uh, trying to get to the rocky portion. I particularly liked uh, as as they're trying to yell at Bert and Heather to get the hell in there. They are start trucking out, and the, the things obviously you see a couple scenes of them trying to take the thing down, and then the the biggest thing, the biggest gotcha they can do is they can't stop. They stop yeah. for too long, then thing starts digging out from under under the cat. So as long as they keep moving, it looks like they're going to be okay. So they're trucking along, and uh, you know, they uh, someone's like, "Where the hell are these things?" And uh, they point out, and they're like, "Okay, well, well, we see the two dust trails over there." Val, uh, it's like, "What the hell are they doing?" And Val was the nice little line: "Is like, I don't care what they're doing as long as they're doing way the hell out there." Yeah, they're they're borderline premature celebration here. On the, is there? Mm-hmm. Oh, making yeah. their way they're at the 10 yard line about to drop the ball yeah the the graboids have uh dug a trap the bulldozer hits uh hits the trap hard goes in head first and they can go no further so now they're yeah. they're stuck in the back of the semi for a bit to which now they now the things can dig uh yeah can dig out the the semi and pull it under so they can't stay in the semi because it's gonna sink yeah they start uh val and earl start firing at the things meanwhile uh, Bird pull, pulls out one of his pipe bombs. He's like, "Hungry? Try this!" <laughs> and he just he lob. I just like I like how he lobs it. He just got that little <laughs> the little basketball throws. Like, try this, <laughs> everybody down, and then boom. And it wasn't. And it, the other thing I liked was those explosions weren't like the Hollywood explosions. They it wasn't huge fireball or anything. It was. Yeah, the graboids are not made of propane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> propane and propane accessories. Uh, it was a, it was a real con- like a concussion type explosion. All all dirt and everything looked good. 
and that and of course these things the the science behind it you know and movie science behind it is since things are these things are so sensitive to sound that that much of an explosion actually hurts them and they have to get away because of the reverberations that's that's the theory that Rhonda comes up with is that not that it scares them but it actually hurts them and they have to leave until the reverberations die down exactly they have they really yeah it's an instinctual things they have to get away from the sound so they decide okay well this is how we're gonna get off this thing is we're gonna bomb in the direction we want to run to get those things to get the hell away from where we want to run which is a great idea i mean that's it's playing on that theory well. yes scientifically sound if that's the that's the theory and it they obviously throw another one make sure they are the things do get away and then they start running so they make it to the rocks similar to when there was the out in the middle of the desert with the pole vault stick. Now they have to decide what to do. There's a lot of conversation about what their next steps are. Bert and Heather are kind of pissed that they left the house because they had food, water. It's a good adult fight of egos. You know, who yeah. who put you who in charge? And you know, there's just a lot of a lot of chest thumping as far as you know, your bad decisions, your bad decisions, etc. A lot of adrenaline flowing. You know, they just all need to cool down. Uh, and after they wait for a while. Earl has a great idea for bomb fishing. Mm-hmm. Takes one of the pipe bombs, puts a long string on it. I don't know if they went with a longer wick or what, but they modified it somehow. Yeah, they he put it. He stuck a longer wick. But they they threw some rocks to get the tentacles going, and then they they yep. tossed the bomb into where the tentacles were, got them to bite, mm-hmm. and then boom, they kill one creature and <laughs> guts fly it everywhere. Splats. Oh, <laughs> orange orange blood guts everywhere. I I almost got sick the first time I saw that. Yeah, that was a good like, scene. Oh, God. So uh, Val thinks, well, I can do that. Yeah, you're, <laughs> and he's, he's he, not going to be outdone by Earl's lasso thing. But he technically does do it. It's just that these creatures are smart. They, they adapt very oh, yeah. quickly. And so when he gets the uh, creature to bite, the creature then spits it right back out at him, and it just so happens to land it right so on their to, bag of bombs. Yeah, it bounces off the rocks. So it lands on the bombs, right? Everybody scatters to either get to the other side of the rocks or in the case of Rhonda, Val, and Earl, they run off the rocks onto the onto the dirt, and then you know all the all the remaining bombs explode, except for the one in Val's hand. Why was Val? I didn't I didn't notice. Why did he when have the hell a bomb? Did Val pick up another one? I don't know. Yeah, when did he pick up another one? I'd have to see that again. And why would he have another one? The only I thing know. I can think of is it, it was already laying there, and he grabbed it on the way out. Just had it, to be. I didn't even think about it at the time. Yes, so so Val's Val's got one bomb left. Rhonda has the lighter, and Earl is just out there with them, and they're yeah. all standing still in the desert. Yeah, everybody on the rocks is telling him, "Why don't you run back, throw the bomb, so you can run back?" And he's like, "Yeah, but then what? Then we're stuck, and we're we're gonna die on the rocks." And the, and then that's the other thing is the thing plays possum on him. It jumps out of the ground. And then everybody, like everybody, starts making noise on the rocks. Yeah. Even Bird even jumps down on the ground to try to trick it, and it just sinks back in. Yeah. But you don't see it move. You don't hear it move. So Bow, you know, picks up that nope, it's just playing possum. It's waiting for us to move. And and uh, did you notice that the location for the end of the movie there was the same location at the beginning, the rocks? Yep. So at the beginning of the movie where he had the stampede joke, the three cows, and just that was the joke. They're at the exact same location as where the movie started. The same rocks yeah. that are next to the truck from there. And so uh, Val's idea is just to to lead him towards that cliff that he was pissing off of at the beginning. Now, I have a weird thing about that. The cliffs are all on the north side. 
they should have been going straight east or straight west to the mountains. So to me, the cliffs are on the north. That means that the mountains are the east and the west. The road out of town's got to be south, right? Or at least east or west. So why the hell were we they out all that way in the first place? Well, in the town of Springfield, you've got the, the murder horn and then the last bridge out of town, and that's already been destroyed. <laughs> I was elected to lead, not to read. They should have they should have turned at the tire fire. <laughs> no, I should no, I should have taken that left at Albuquerque. <laughs> that's one of the only other things where uh, yes, it makes sense. It's great that they landed out there, but why were they way out there? Oh, I just assumed that where they were, that's where the, the fence and that cattle were grazing earlier in the movie, and the 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 dirt road into the mountains goes right by it. I, I didn't and maybe that's and maybe that's it. Maybe the Jeep trail is off near the end of that. I don't know. But it it just ends up being lucky. So we have Val. So Val's running. Yeah. So Val's like uh, Val just takes off. And as soon as he takes off, the gravel jumps out of the ground, which causes Earl to freak out and take off. So, the, and they're running, you know, about like, I got a goddamn plan <laughs> to which, you know, they're running for a good bit. And he search while he's searching his pockets and he's like, where is it? Where is it? Cut back to Rhonda who hasn't moved yet, who realizes she's got the ladder. She starts running after them with the time passage there. She should not have caught up to him them nearly as fast if anything she should be behind the graboid at this point but somehow she immediately catches up to him well val's plan was missing a key element since he didn't have the lighter yeah <laughs> great plan but you, you, you didn't have all the resources man yeah that's why you need a pm <laughs> <laughs> the uh and then earl follows him for for no apparent reason other than you know buddy support yeah and running away from the thing. So they, and they run and they get to the, you know, I hope you, I hope it's a good plan. Cause you see, uh, this is the point where you see where they are next to the cliff. Yeah. Uh, and they're running straight for the cliff. So they all stop at the cliff and Earl, I guess, thinks he's going to throw the bomb to mislead it so they can run back to the rocks. But Val's got a different thing in mind. He's twisting the wick to snap it really short. And then what tells Rana to wait basically as long as they can before lighting it. And of course he throws it right. He basically he times the throw pretty good. He throws it, so it hits the ground right as the thing passes on a really short fuse, which guarantees that it's going to go off behind him, which is what Val wanted it to do. Earl didn't know that Earl was like, God damn it. He threw it behind him. But it scares the grab boy just enough oh, to yeah. send him barreling straight toward Val and toward, towards the plateau. And he heads straight down and, and splatters on the rocks below. Oh, and that was, that was nasty too. Can you fly sucker? <laughs> Can you fly sucker? Can you fly? So everybody's saved. We go to the uh, town center again, wrap up. Everybody's safe and happy and clean. They're fixing uh, their truck, getting new tires on the truck. Yeah. And we get a nice scene of, of Kevin Bacon being super awkward. Yeah. <laughs> With the girl. Uh, as Rhonda takes those two's picture. And then she starts walking towards him as he's standing near the driver's door of his truck. He like surreptitiously reaches into the, uh, oh, I forgot the name of the, the, thing. the, the visor. visor. So he reaches, he, yeah, he surreptitiously reaches into the visor and pulls all of the, the blonde hair, blue eyed, girly pictures. <laughs> I say girly pictures, the pictures of girls that he dated that all fit his list. He immediately pulls all those down. While Earl fakes going to work on the engine, <laughs> in the meantime, just <laughs> laughing at him, under yep. his or just you know basically pa- face palming of Val being so damn awkward. But then Val goes after her, and they have a kiss yep. as the credits I roll. Know. 
hold on, I'm working up to it. <laughs> I don't know what a girl like that wants with a guy like me. She's going for a goddamn PhD. And thus, yeah, uh, the credits roll to The Sound of Reba McIntyre. So, so my thoughts on this movie is that this was a great movie. It is wonderfully written, uh, a tight screenplay, and because it, it feels like no scene is wasted. Uh, everything that you see as an action point later on has been set up by something earlier in the movie. Every scene means something. Yeah. And, and also, I, I love that no one dies past the midpoint of the movie. You know, after no. Nestor, kind of a Doctor Who moment of, you know, just this once, everybody lives. So uh, on yeah. at the end of the tail end, you've got our heroes who both live. You've got the kids who both live. You've got the the cannon fodder of the the the, the random people like Nancy and uh, and Hector. They both live. And, you know, they didn't go for the emotional kill. Like, let's kill off one of the kids. Yeah. They didn't do it. There's no heroic sacrifice where, where yeah, one that of the would heroes be dies. That would have been horrible. This movie is better for it. But there were, there were a total of, what, uh, nine, at least nine deaths in this movie, if I'm counting right. So you got Edgar, Fred. Edgar and Fred. The doc, uh, doc and his wife. Um, the two construction workers. And then the two road, road workers that went to get them. If, if there's two of them. There was two helmets. Two of them? I yep. only remember seeing, oh, there was two helmets? Two helmets. Okay, so that puts it at 10. Then Walter and, and Nestor. Nestor. So 10. I mean, it's it's kind of a higher body count. For, it is high. For something that's not really a horror movie. Yeah, for, especially since no one no one dies in the end. It's definitely a thrilling drama. I definitely wouldn't consider it a horror movie. But I'll, I'll agree with you on the on the on their use of the, uh, you know, foreshadowing, but subtle foreshadowing to yes. where when they're able to reuse things, it's kind of, you get that moment of, Oh yeah. Uh, I remember they had that kind of thing. So it, it wasn't anything hanging off the lampshade or anything. It was actually something that was used prior, but not in an overly obvious way. Yeah. Uh, I did notice that Bert, uh, is an Atlanta Hawks fan, uh, <laughs> yeah, for the hat that he's wearing the entire time. <laughs> yeah, I'd say maybe they're from Atlanta, but the, I mean, Reba obviously has an accent. He doesn't. There's a whole, there's a big backstory written. Now, to me, Michael Gross to me is, is, uh, he's always been the dad from family, family ties. ties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the hippie turned yuppie. <laughs> and you know, uh, while Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward are the star of this movie, he is the star of tremor, the, like the tremors verse, the tremors saga saga. Yeah. So I was corrected on, not really corrected. I was, I was educated through social media online when I, you know, posted that we're going to be doing tremors next i was i was educated that there is a whole tremors universe of of seven films and the series and, and michael series. gross is is all in it's his thing it's his baby for like 30 years and that apparently these studios are trying to take it away from him apparently one of the next movies was going to be tremors down under with michael gross fighting them over in australia uh, but the studio took it back and there's currently a battle going on with this mm. And, and the, the Tremors fan base are loyal and rabid. They love this <laughs> franchise. And I, and I can admit, I have never seen any of the other movies. Or I may have caught maybe 10, 15 minutes of Tremors 3, if I recall, maybe 15 years ago. 10, 15 years ago? A long time ago. But because, I mean, they came out quick. I want to say Tremors, this movie was 1990, wasn't it? Tremors 3 was like 94. 95? Well, while we're on the Tremor saga, here's what I want to do. I want to, we're going to take turns and we're going to Google, you know, Tremors 2, Tremors 3, Tremors 4, and just the Google synopsis, we're going to read them. I'll, I'll start with, with Tremors 2 and we're going to see how, how crazy these get all the way up through 7. All right. 
All right. So Tremors 2. After spending all the reward money from his first encounter with the giant man-eating worms called Graboids, Earl Bassett agrees to hunt more more of the deadly creatures at a Mexican oil refinery for $50,000 each. Knowing that he cannot face the monsters alone, Earl recruits Burt Gummer, another veteran of the incident in Nevada, to supply the firepower. There is only one problem. The Graboids have now evolved to attack from the ground. Dun, dun. Yeah, they, they of course have to evolve. Tremors 3, legendary monster killer Burt Gummer has returned to Perfection Nevada, scene of the original attacks by the worm creatures with razor teeth known as Graboids. Sure enough, the creatures attack again, only now they're split into Graboids, Shriekers, from Tremors 2, and a new mutation known as Ass Bastards, <laughs> <laughs> which are propelled into flight by combustible flatulence. <laughs> it's up to Bert, Jack Sawyer, and other locals to save their town from destruction. I think we, I think we might have already hit the painter on this on this bit. <laughs> oh no! Oh oh no! Wait for it. <laughs> Tremors four. The legend begins. Prime East Coast dandy Hiram Gummer, played by Michael Gross, arrives in the town of Rejection, Nevada, to investigate a series of strange deaths at the silver mine he owns. He receives help from local innkeeper Christine Lord and miner Juan Padilla. But when it turns out that gigantic killer worms that burrow underground are responsible for the miner's death, Hiram decides he better call the inexpert gunslinger Blackhand Kelly to save the day. So this one, they go back in time. Or it's a, it's a prequel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> also, yes. <laughs> All right. Tremors 5. Survivalist Burt Gummer and his new sidekick, Travis, played by Jamie Kennedy, are hired to track Jamie down an Kennedy? ass blaster. Yes. <laughs> are hired to track down an ass blaster terrorizing South Africa. So now we're going internet. This is at like MIB <laughs> International. As they engage in battles with the aggressive creatures, they discover an even more lethal creature. It's, it's mutated again, apparently. Uh, <laughs> Tremors 6, a cold day in hell. <laughs> Burt Gummer suspects that giant worms are being utilized as weapons at a research facility in Canada. He soon finds himself in a race against time to create an antidote from one of the creature's venoms to save his own life. (laughs) (laughs) Tremor 7, Shrieker Island. Bird Gummer must save the day when a wealthy playboy unleashes a giant carnivorous worm and other monsters onto a tropical island. That's that's all I got. (laughs) Tremors in Paradise. (laughs) (laughs) worms in paradise we won't go into the series but yeah so that's that's where all the movies yeah oh sweet lord well on the upside michael gross had a prolific film career in there when did seven come Um, out uh tremor seven was 2020 oh no shit yes let me, uh, let's see what what's the time frames on here. So nineteen ninety to twenty. That's thirty years. That's yeah, seven movies in thirty years. It's actually not bad. Yeah, that's and then great. the Tremors TV show was twenty eighteen. Okay. So yeah, we had nineteen ninety. Ninety uh, Tremors two is ninety six. I was wrong. Tremors three is two thousand one. So it was a while before Tremors two, and then Tremors three two thousand one. They they found their audience in the world. Tremors four. Tremors. Tremors 4, 2004. They're all, yeah, all the, all the additional ones are straight to video, but. And these movie posters are phenomenal. 
for all of them. These are great. I'll, I'll have to post about that. Just a, a little collage of all seven of these pictures. These are great. So who from this movie would you like to recommend for the Cinema Decon Hall of Fame? So I, I was out of tie on this one. I would say the obvious hint, like Kevin Bacon, and that's mostly because he's the more well-known one on there, but I'm not going that direction. I like Bert. I really do like Bert, but I got to go with Fred Ward, him being the, uh, like the yang to Kevin Bacon on this one. I think those two, those, uh, the dialogue between those two character wise, uh, were very, were really good and kind of made the movie. Uh, and so I, I kind of like Fred Ward in this. One. See me, my vote is for Kevin Bacon. I don't think this movie happens without him. And yet all these, these seven other ones, the six other ones do. <laughs> the story happens without him, but the movie yeah. is not as successful as far as the cult status it achieved. It's, it's Kevin Bacon's I'll, I'll give you that. charisma and his, his character. Uh, when I think of Kevin Bacon, I'm, I think Footloose and just being, he's kind of smooth. He's, he's a, yeah. you know, a ladies guy. As well. But here he's, you know, he's you awkward. Kevin the Bacon is a redneck. <laughs> no, I don't. And, and it's, and I think that he makes this movie. I think that it's, I think it should be Kevin Bacon. I can, I can get behind that. Awesome. Congratulations to Kevin Bacon as the newest inductee to the Cinema Decon Hall of Fame. So we, now have a, we now have six degrees of Cinema Decon. This is true. So if you were to uh, look at this movie from a different perspective, uh, what, what would be your take on that? This one's hard to answer because there's such a small cast in such a, you know, and you can't really say from the antagonist point of view because they're, you know, because they're, they're worms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to go with someone who, who survived the movie. So, and obviously the, the series goes with Bert from, from here on, but <laughs> I, I'd like to, I'd like to go with Melvin. Yeah. Uh, Cause Melvin has issues. He's a kid. His parents, uh, according to, to lore, are out in Vegas and they always leave him alone in this middle of nowhere. He's scared crapless and he's, he, he's a kid. So what is he yeah. thinking? What, what's, what's going through his head? Is he supposed, how old is he supposed to be in this movie? I would assume a teenager. Like, and I, where does he go to school? You know, what's, what's, I, I want to know what Melvin's deal is. We're assuming this is summertime. So I, I had a little, I had a little issue with that. My, my first thought, uh, my first thought was Mindy, because for half the movie, she's just pogo sticking around um, <laughs> with uh, headphones on. So she misses an entire movie. So the, the start of her story is literally being tackled by a grown man in broad daylight off of her pogo stick. And then, you know, that's got to be traumatizing in itself. But I had a much better idea. So this only works from a time frame of right about when, when they get the cat and start heading over to Bert's house. This is when another city uh, county official comes into town to try to check on the first county officials. So uh, I, I think, you know, this is from their perspective. They just roll into town and all of a sudden they see their co-worker's car open, two bloody helmets on the ground. They see the bloody helmets of construction workers that drive into town, who's which is deserted. Um, that would be that would be a being, great like Tremors apart. one take on the Blu-ray, you know, just like the the the, the yeah. follow-up <laughs> workers like, what the off. hell is going on yeah. here? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you hear gunfire and explosions coming from the from from up north in the cliffs. <laughs> you have no idea. And the guys probably like, what the shit are these people doing? So that's my that's my thought on that. 
uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess, I know the answer to this one, but, uh, uh, as the, as the father figure, would you uh, recommend this movie for your kids? No, I had to watch this one on my own this time. Kids were not involved, which made it harder to watch. Definitely. Yeah, I enjoyed it immensely, but I don't think they would have uh, reacted well. Uh, I, I would yeah. say, yeah, it's it's PG thirteen, but you know, I watched this when I was ten. It does have a lot of gore and and fright, and, and so I, I would I would wait till at least you know ten or eleven before letting them watch, you know, Tremors. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say a lot of uh, a lot of things would have been saved if these people all carried walkie talkies with them instead of having to yell across town i'm surprised with no phone with no like inner town phones or anything which obviously there's no need to but like walkie talkies you think that'd be kind of an obvious thing there's the two people that have cb radios and maybe the dock but like walkie walkie talkies i'm surprised they don't have because yeah, today, today's technology this movie would be entirely different i mean with cell phone yeah. and internet you know it would change the story dramatically you know even a satellite phone you know where they yeah, can call yeah. for help you know that's and I would say I'm, and I'm fairly certain sat phones might have been a thing during this time. It's probably just hugely expensive, and nobody, yeah, nobody, uh, in that town nobody in the it. town of perfection could have been able to afford those. Now, ones. now, Bert would have probably sold his, uh, sold, or, you know, put a second mortgage on it just to do that. But I think that his biggest thing was he let he liked the isolation. So uh, that's that, true. That, that was why he, yeah, he mentioned that. that. That's why they settled there. To get the fuck because he hates people apparently. As far as a different version of this movie, I can't picture one. Uh, I mean, I'd love to see Tremors the musical, but I just don't know how that's going to work. Those little grab points. Doctor say his. Doctor say his. It just makes you think a little shop of horrors. If they can pull it off, so can we. That's true. Yeah, because the original Little Shop of Horrors was a horror story. Oh, yeah. And, and darker. They, yeah, they, they so. turned that around. Uh, I could imagine a darker version of this, but I don't think it would be as good. It's the humor that that helps make this movie good. And it's not really – it's not so much campy humor. It's – I don't know, redneck humor, I guess. Yeah. If they made Tremors today, it would be gory from death one. It would be – you know, s- stupid characters in your face, trying making stupid decisions. It would be, it would be like, the, or or it would be like the Piranhas or Sharknado movies that make exactly, it really stupid. Exactly. Really stupid. Exactly. Yeah, and it's it's the lighter, the the lighter uh, humor and character interactions that is what make this movie the cult classic. It is agreed. Now is the time on our show where we rank the movie based on our fan review, while also adding in the IMDb rating. This is a ten point scale, and the average will be put. We'll put the movie in our mega list. So, Aaron, what do you rank Tremors? Uh, I'm going to have to give this one a solid seven. I really like this movie. It's one of it's one of my favorite ones as a kid. Uh, it's just I don't know. It's one of those ones I've seen so many times. I I guess I don't rate it as one of the great movies anymore, like I used to, because there have been so many like really good movies since then. But I definitely get it. Give it like a solid seven. Okay, so I went much higher with Tremors. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this movie. Just it was I, really written well. I loved that. Nothing was wasted, and I am giving this an eight point two five. Ooh, all right. Uh, we, we tack on the wonderful IMDb rating, which agrees more with me than with Steve, uh, at a seven point one. 
what do we get when we combine? So by our scores combined, it comes up with a 7.45, which puts this number three on our list yeah. below Independence Day and slightly above Wet Hot American Summer. I can deal with that. Yeah, I think that works out well. All right. And now it's time to spin that wheel. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Big money, big money. 308. 308. See, we're sticking up in the 300s. Have yeah, you noticed that? Sorry. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Hackers wasn't. I'm just saying. 308 is Tin Cup, the 1996 uh, Kevin Costner golf movie. Okay. I haven't seen that in a long time. Oh, yeah. I've not seen that in quite a while. Yeah. A little, little less, in, less enthused, but it was a good movie enough to make our list. Yeah. Pre-watch disc uh, discussion for me is going to be real short on this because I literally only remember one thing from that movie. Well, no, two things from that movie. Everybody remembers the same thing from that movie. Do they remember the same two things from that movie? Uh, that's a good point. So, Steve, this is about the time we... Uh, Talk about a new show or uh, any other shows or movies that we're watching currently that uh, I'd like to give some props out to. Uh, is there anything that you're uh, watching right now that you'd uh, uh, recommend to our listeners? So my media pitch this week is not necessarily something I'm watching. Uh, it's actually a, another podcast that I've been listening to. Had some time in uh, RV trip over the, uh, the break here. I, I found a a uh, podcast called First Contact, a Star Trek, uh, the next generation intro cast uh, from the people at the Spoilist. Uh, it, I, I love it. It's, it's, uh, they're going from episode one and they're halfway through season four right now. And they have two guys that are Star Trek fans and one guy that is watching it for the first time. And it's a, it's a good introspect as far That's as. That's actually a cool idea. It is. Yeah. And it's, and I, I kind of want to steal the idea. Uh, I want to. I'm going to do that know, for Doctor Who. I want to I want to find some uh, the right people and maybe do that for Doctor Who or Quantum Leap, oh, Columbo. Yes. There's a couple that I'd love to do that for, especially for shows that started out struggling and got good. Uh, mm -hmm. Especially, and you get someone that has never watched it before and has been told that this is a great show, you need to watch it, and then they see the first, they see their baby steps of the show and give their honest opinion, like, yeah, that's not good. Whereas the fans are kind of in the wings going, oh, just wait, just wait. Uh, but I've actually been talking to them. Uh, they say they're, they're fellow podcasters and I've uh, been chatting with them a bit uh, just about podcasting in general. And uh, good, good, uh, good guys. So I recommend it. It's a podcast from the Spoilers called First Contact, a Star Trek intro, intro cast. Awesome. But only listen to that after you listen to us. Agreed. Yes. Because you, you got to have uh, standards. So, Aaron, what are you watching these days? Uh, mine for this week would be a relatively new show that is, where is, it? is on sci-fi called Resident Alien. Uh, it stars America's sweetheart, Alan Tudyk, from pretty much everyone fame. Uh, and uh, Alan stars as an alien who basically crash lands his ship uh, in the middle of the Rocky Mountains outside of a, I can't remember the name of the town, if it was a main town or if it was a made up town, but outside of the small town in Colorado, in the Rockies, in the dead of winter. And, uh, basically, uh, the first person he runs across, he basically kills him. 
and shape shifts into his body or projects his uh, has this like body projection. So he looks like this guy who's uh, happens to be Alan Tudyk. He's basically uh, up there trying to find, he's spending the entire winter just going out trying to find his ship. And then uh, it just so happens the guy that he is portraying is a doctor. People in the town know lives up there. The doctor that actually works in the town gets murdered. So the cops run out there to recruit him to become the new town doctor and also to help solve the murder. Seeing Alan Tiddick playing an alien trying to interact with humans, um, but just just he does a wonderful job of playing this weird uh, alien. Uh, and as a funny side note, uh, one in one million or one hundred thousand people are immune to his shape shifting effects and see him who he is. So there's a kid <laughs> in town who absolutely sees him. It's like the mayor's kid who can see exactly what it is. And they, they get in this good, like tete-a-tete kind of fight. So <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, that's good. It's a good, pretty good show. Uh, uh, I think it's just uh, the one series or the one season right now, 10 episodes, about an hour. I'm sold. All right. Well, that's all for this episode. As always, we thank you for listening and we hope you stay with us through this little experiment. Uh, what did you think about Tremors? Uh, let us know in the socials and we'd be sure to tell you how absolutely wrong you are. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review or rating wherever you listen. They really do help the podcast. Check out our website in the show notes to see the full list of movies we'll be covering in our rankings thus far. You can also visit us on our Patreon, where we will try to post some random outtakes and our pre-watch before the final cut. Pre-watch. All right. We'll see you next time on On Cinema Cinema Be Take three or four or five.